All right. Good evening to the National Capital Bible Church and our Bible, our Bible study this evening. We are in the book of Job. The book of Job will be in chapter 21. Now, let's take just a few seconds for our spiritual preparation. Um, it's very important for us to uh, be prepared, be prepared spiritually uh, through God the Holy Spirit. And the uh, the importance here is that there's a lot of, uh, of details in, in any passage, as a matter of fact, but to be able to understand them and then to uh, to uh, to um, remember and apply them, it's important for us to have God the Holy Spirit assisting us. So let's take a few seconds here, closing our eyes and bowing our heads. You have a few seconds for your spiritual preparation, confession of sins, and um, preparing yourselves to to concentrate on uh, the Word of God. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and then I'll open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the, uh, the remarkable opportunity that we have to focus on uh, who you are and what you've done for us. We're thankful, Father, that uh, this evening as we uh, continue our study in Job, we pray that we will um, have a better understanding of what was happening in Job's life. Of course, we have uh, the prologue and soon, hopefully, the epilogue as well so that we'll have uh, the words, uh, uh, your words, Father. Uh, but in between, we know there's uh, much discussed and there is uh, much ground covered. And we pray that it will be edifying to us as we go. So we, we're, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for the ministry of uh, God the Holy Spirit and we pray that we'll be able to focus, concentrate, and um, place this uh, information in our souls so it can be applied. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do tonight as we begin is um, maybe give a, a thanks or at least recognition uh, to our first responders who are serving us during uh, this time of COVID-19. And yesterday was the birthday of one of our very, very early, uh, I guess as we call them, uh, uh, um, our early, uh, our responders, first responders. But it was a, uh, uh, a medical professional. It happens to be Florence Nightingale. Uh, this, the uh, few paragraphs that I'm going to read, came from the Museum of the Bible. They have a uh, a display over there right now, and of course, uh, they're awaiting the opportunity to to uh, to have visitors. But this is um, that I pulled from the uh, Museum of the Bible. At a time when our first responders, doctors, and nurses are putting so much on the line to ensure decent health care, it, it is appropriate to observe the pioneers of these services. When we do, we often see the same acts of courage and self-sacrifice that we see today. This continuity can be a comfort, 
reminding us we have been through hard times in the past. And there are always people who stand up and meet these challenges. One of these courageous, self-sacrificing pioneers is Florence Nightingale. Born on 12 May, uh, 12 May, 1820, Florence Nightingale has left a legacy affecting billions. Though born in Italy, as a matter of fact, uh, the town where she was born bears her name, Florence. She grew up in England, where she, where her pursuit of nursing was often seen beneath her societal status. Nevertheless, uh, Florence Nightingale believed she had received a call from God into his service. She believed that in her uh, medical pursuits, she was serving God. Nightingale rose to fame for her work in establishing a hospital for the British, uh, for the British Army during the Crimean War. There, she lowered the death rate from 42% to 2%. Afterwards, afterwards, Nightingale beset her own illness, so she uh, picked up an illness, uh, and while she wasn't able to to continue her uh, time as a nurse, uh, she became a prolific author. Her writings included the thousand-page hospital administration of the British Army and her most famous book, Notes on Nursing. Throughout her life, Nightingale was a steadfast Bible reader. That wonderful she had her disagreements with certain practices and doctrines of the Church of England. Really, uh, happy to hear that. But she cultivated a life uh, contemplating and applying the Bible and its teaching. The Bible's role in her life can be seen in her use of Mary's words in Luke to describe her own service. But still I feel that it is such a blessing to have been called, however unworthy, to be the handmaid of the Lord. And in closing, they say that uh, Florence Nightingale's commitment to serving the sick stemmed from her uh, constant reading of the Bible. So, uh, it's important for us to remember um, these individuals, but it's also important for us to realize that many of these uh, historical um, heroes, heroines we might say, uh, had lives and uh, professions that were based upon the Bible. All right, this evening we are going to, we're going to be studying again in the book of Job. And this is uh, still part of the second round of speeches uh, during this part uh, section of Job, chapters 15 to 21, and tonight we'll be in chapter 21. Uh, this is going to be Job's second reply to Zophar. And Job 21 is a, a remarkable chapter because this is... Job's response to Zophar, and Zophar's uh, chapter, chapter 20, was uh, a particular, particularly uh, vicious, as we said last week. Um, Zophar's uh, chapter was focused uh, almost entirely on the wicked. Um, uh, as we uh, read through Job 20, Zophar kept hammering away at the uh, uh, oh, the uh, activities, 
the uh, problems, the adversities that Job had, and he was applying that to Job, saying that, or implying and saying, that uh, what was happening in Job's life was because he fell in the category of the wicked. And what we're going to see tonight as we read Job, uh, Job 21, we're going to see that uh, Job is almost exclusively responding to Zophar. So the dialogue that we're seeing tonight, the second round of speeches, we're going to go to uh, the sixth part, which is Job 21. And we're going to see Job's second reply to Zophar. Um, there are, there's going to be two more, or at least there's going to be one more dialogue that includes these three individuals, uh, Eliphaz, uh, Bildar, and also Zophar. That's the, the three who have been addressing Job. But this is the last time we're going to see Zophar. Um, the other two will have a third uh, opportunity to speak with Joe, Job. But um, this is as far as we're going with Zophar. So uh, we'll have... Four, uh, four parts tonight. Uh, first of all, we have the request for silence. Uh, Job is going to ask the three, all three, to, um, uh, I guess you could say, to uh, shut up uh, so he could explain. And what he's actually going to do tonight is he's going to address uh, the wicked. Uh, he's going to contrast that to what Zophar was saying. So, silence, verses 1 through 6. Uh, secondly, we'll see the prosperity of the wicked. Um, Zophar was uh, implying, and as I said, also stating, that the reason that Joab, or Job was enduring the uh, adversity that he was facing is because it was uh, he was wicked and uh, uh, job is going to uh, is going to counter that tonight third we're going to see the death of the wicked and you might think well the death of the wicked is going to be uh, a rugged uh, event but Job is going, to, uh, is going to address that in verses 17 through 26. And then finally, we're going to see the death of the wicked. And their death is in prosperity, verses 27 through 34. Okay. So we're ready to jump into these verses. Let me get us started here in verses 1 through 6. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then Joab answered and said, Listen carefully to my speech, to my presentation, we might say, and let this be your consolation. Bear with me that I may speak, and after I have spoken, keep mocking. Uh, that is directly pointed to uh, Zophar, because he was the one that was mocking um, Job. Verse 4, As for me, is my complaint against man, and we're going to see that it's not against man, uh, because man is not causing the problem. Job believed that what was happening in his life was coming from God, so that's who he was addressing. But more of that later. Verse 4, As for me, is my complaint against man? 
And if it were, why should I be impatient? Verse 5. Look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember, I am terrified and trembling takes hold of my flesh. Okay. Um, in this speech, just as we move into this, these uh, the verses 1 through 6, uh, we're, we'll see that Job, again, is responding to the view of his three friends. Uh, we might call them uh, his contentious friends. And we're going to see the... Uh, his description, Job's description of the destruction of the wicked. Uh, unlike his other talks, here Job said says nothing directly to God. He is addressing his three friends, and I think almost um, almost exclusively uh, Zophar. Many of his remarks in verses 7 through 33 are direct refutations of Zophar's words in chapters in chapter 20. So, we've got, we have a start. What I'm going to try to do is uh, move us through this uh, rather quickly. And let me address something about uh, the book of Job. Um, some might think that I'm moving through the book rather quickly. But frankly, that is how this book needs to be addressed. If we were going to, let's say, take a paragraph, four or five, six verses at a time, well, we could be at this for about three years. But the context, being able to hold the context in our minds, really is the significance of this until we get until we arrive at chapter 38 where uh, God begins to address Job and there's a lot of information in the chapters prior to uh, chapter 38 but the um, the difficult the difficulty in trying to study them in detail is that um, you really lose the forest for the individual trees. And so what we're going to try to do is go chapter by chapter. And as we go chapter by chapter, I'm going to try to uh, bring the sense of that chapter to you so that we're prepared to move to the next chapter um, which uh, just continues what we might call the narrative uh, until we get to chapter 38. And then, of course, we'll have uh, a denser, uh, denser, denser passages uh, to study. All right, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Listen carefully to my speech. And let this be your consolation. So in other words, what Job is saying here is, listen, understand, and be consoled. Uh, the intensity here is, again, expressed by the imperative. So he's, he's trying to get his three friends to simply listen and understand his position. So it's expressed the intensity here by the imperatives. Uh, actually, what we have is that it says, listen carefully, uh, sincerely, uh, devotedly to what I'm saying. Um, the word here for consolations um, has the sense that they were offering Job uh, consolation but the consolation he wants from them is that they listen to him and then respond accordingly 
if they understand what he's saying and they understand his situation, then they'll be consoled, is his position here, um, by what he says. Uh, verse 3, he says, to bear. Uh, I think other words that will work here is to endure, uh, to tolerate with me that I may speak. In other words, uh, give me the opportunity. Relax, is sort of what he's saying. Relax that I may speak. And after I've spoken, then I think, uh, looking at Zophar, addressing Zophar, then you can resume your your mocking. And that's what he says here. A quick summary of those verses is uh, verses 1 through 3. If his troublesome uh, friends, his counselors we might call them, would only listen to what Job was saying, then they could console him because that's why they thought they were there. That's why they are there. But they're not listening to him. Uh, and therefore, they're not uh, c- consoling him. There's no consolation from them. Secondly, this is an important reminder that when someone is suffering, they need the listening ear. And we've reviewed this. It's important for us. Uh, should we have a member of the family or a friend or a neighbor? It's important for us to listen, to understand what they're saying. Uh, very often when someone is expressing their understanding of their situation, uh, they'll be able to walk themselves through a solution. We simply need to listen, sometimes ask some questions. But anyhow, uh, what they really need is a listening ear, not a condemning a condemning. Uh, speech. Thirdly, when he, Job, added uh, the, I think, sarcastically, Zophar could continue his mocking, it was uh, a recognition here that Zophar had been no help at all. All right. Uh, verse 4. Verse 4 says, As for me... Is my complaint against men, against man? And if it were, why should I not be impatient? The point that I think he's trying to say here uh, seems to be that if his complaint was merely against men, he might have expected sympathy from them. But no one cares, no one dares offer him sympathy when his complaint is really against God. That's the sense here. Um, he hoped to get some sympathy from uh, from his friends. He knows that God's justice, God's righteousness, uh, God's compassion, his love, um, he'll encounter that, but he is addressing God, trying to get answers. So, uh, he will give, uh, I guess what we could say is, he will address God um, fairly aggressively as we move from chapter 1 uh, and then on. Verse 5, look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over my mouth. In other words, what... Um, Job is saying, look at my condition, um, and your mouth will be agape. You know, look at me, and you're going to be that astonished. Silence yourself by putting your hands over your mouth. Uh, I'm the one suffering. A little sympathy, please, is what he's saying. Verse 6, even when I remember... Uh, another word here could be recalled or when I ponder it because I think the remembering here is almost a meditation uh, sense from the Hebrew verb. When I remember, when I ponder it, when I meditate, I'm terrified uh, by what happened. And trembling takes hold of my flesh. 
a better word there, I think, interpretation would be my body. So in other words, what he says is, when I recall what happened to me, happened to me, uh, I'm horrified, and anxiety grips my body. Uh, a summary of these verses, uh, Job says, uh, or an evaluation here of this, since Job was uh, trying to address his problems to God, but he has to keep returning to his friends. Uh, since Job was trying to complain to God, not to them, uh, why did they not have the right to be, why did he not have the right to be impatient? Uh, he was impatient with his friends because he wants to address God, but he has to keep, uh, continue to address them. Uh, his friends, secondly here, they ought to be amazed at his terrible appearance. Uh, but, uh, and they were at first, but they, but they seem to have uh, overcome that. Uh, so why could they not, uh, point three, according to Bildad, people everywhere were horrified at what happens to a wicked person. And we saw that first in chapter 18. So why could they not uh, show at least a little concern about his situation since they thought he was such a sinner? Point four, in fact, they should be silent, putting their hands over their mouths. But even Job, thinking about his own deplorable situation, disturbed him emotionally and physically, because we see that he was terrified and we see that he was trembling. So he has um, uh, both a uh, psychological, I guess we could say, I'll say spiritual, but also a physical response. Now, we're moving on to verses 7 through 16, and this is um, uh, Joab responding to Zophar, because Zophar was saying, your problem is is that uh, you're wicked, uh, and that's why you have all of these problems. Now, what Job is going to say is, uh, is that necessarily always true of the wicked? So, verses, uh, verses 7 through 16. Verse 7, why do the wicked... And you'll, you'll need to hold the, <clears throat> the noun here about the wicked in your mind as we go because we'll see a lot of uh, pronouns. Why do the wicked, and I'm going to add, continue to live and become old or grow old? Yes. Why do they? Why do they become mighty? Why do they increase in power? Uh, why do they increase in authority uh, or prestige? We may say that, say it that way. Uh, so Job's question, uh, question here is uh, of more of a, a universal scope, I think we could say. And it, uh, we could say that in the judgment of God, why do the wicked exist at all? Uh, why are they allowed to continue to live? Um, why are the wicked allowed to increase also in prestige? If, in fact, what Zophar was saying, why are they allowed to continue? Verse 8, they, their descendants, their, the wicked, their children are established. Uh, the word here for established uh, can be understood as uh, uh, well-known, maybe. But it's going to say that they are established, they're well-known uh, with them, the wicked, in their sight. Uh, another way to understand that is during their, their lifetime. In other words, uh, when... Uh, their children are going to be successful so uh, so early in their life that the uh, the wicked the parent 
uh, is going to experience that with them. And then the last part of the of the verse says, and their offspring, again, their children, um, uh, becoming well known. There's an understanding here that we have to, there's an ellipsis there. Uh, and their offspring are well known before their eyes. So the question here, uh, why do the children of the wicked achieve fame or become well known while the wicked are still alive? Of course, this is not the case with Job, or at least so far. In other words, his children were, um, had lost their lives. They died in um, uh, an accident in their home. Well, God's plan will answer that question and, in fact, reverse it. And we'll see that in the last chapter of Job. Um, we must not ask God why. We must not ask God when. We must not ask God uh, how. God knows. We simply do not have the reason to know. And that's what uh, God is going to tell us at the end of the book. We don't have the, um, the necessity to know. We must trust God for these answers. He knows the answers. We simply trust him. Verse 9. There, the wicked, their houses are safe. Another word here I think works. They're peaceful from fear. See, that was not the case with Job. Um, the wicked's house are peaceful from fear. Um uh, Job's children, their homes uh, fell on them and killed them. Uh, so how can we apply this to Job uh, if the, the wicked's, if their children are safe? Uh, neither is the rod of God, meaning punishment, upon them. So unlike Job's children's, home, which collapse on them, uh, they were not safe. And it appears that the rod of God struck them. But Job is saying that that's not the case with uh, the children of the wicked. Verse 10, they're wicked, there being again the wicked, uh, they're uh, their bull breeds without failure. Their cows calve. Uh, the word calve here is used as a verb, meaning they give birth. Their cows calves, cow calves, without miscarriage. Um, now, we know that in the Old Testament, particularly reading it through Deuteronomy, the fertileness of animals uh, again, in the ancient world, was an indication of divine blessing. Uh, we saw that uh, the uh, Israelites, when they were faith uh, unfaithful, when they were disobedient, then they would no longer have the blessings of uh, of the the animals uh, producing. Offspring. So uh, this, uh, the fact that the wicked have uh, a, a prosperous uh, branches, flocks. Um, this doesn't appear uh, that that Job fits in that uh, category. Verse eleven. They, the wicked send forth their little ones like a flock. In other words, many children. And their children dance, meaning many times. So the picture that we have here of the children flock, uh, uh, frock, frock, flocking in the fields and singing and dancing is symbolic of peaceful, peaceful, prosperous, prosperous times. Verse 12, 
they, again, the wicked, sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. Verse 12. Let me give a little bit of a summary here as we move forward. Again, remember that Job is describing the life of the wicked as he observes it. They are uh, rewarded even though they seemingly do not deserve it. We might realize that there are several reasons why the wicked appear to be rewarded. And there are others, but let's just take three here. First of all, they are living according, they might be living to accord, uh, according to the laws of establishment, meaning that uh, they understand that there are certain laws that God has uh, embedded for the survival of human human life. And they're following those. And so they're being blessed because they are following the laws of establishment. Secondly, they are a test for those who are trying to live a godly life. We are very often, we very often find ourselves wondering why the wicked are, uh, are doing so well. Well, is there a reason why they shouldn't be? Uh, they're living their lives during, uh, uh, in, in the world and they have that opportunity. Uh, some are more, uh, skilled, uh, than uh, their neighbors, and so they are um, uh, they are often a test for us, uh, and we shouldn't judge them. Thirdly, they are being blessed because of a relationship that brings them blessing. In other words, they may have uh, a relationship with someone who is being blessed by God, and we would say that they are being blessed. Uh, by association. Uh, we are not to judge others. Why and how God blesses them is God's responsibility. The lives of anyone in the plans, uh, any, uh, the lives of anyone uh, are in the, the hands of God. Uh, they are in God's plans. Point, or verse 13. They, again, the wicked, spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. Uh, the word here for grave uh, is Sheol. And the sense here that we have is that they go down in peace. Uh, they live their lives, uh, their years in prosperity, and at the end, they go to the grave in peace. So Job observes that the wicked are blessed in life, and they're blessed in death. Well, that wasn't the, the description that Zophar uh, gives of, of Job. Uh, he accused Job of being uh, wicked. And that's why uh, all of this hardship is occurring to uh, Job. So Job here... Uh, recognize, he observes, that the wicked are blessed in life uh, and in death. We must always remember that we do not know uh, what is happening in other people's lives. Uh, this is remarkable. Uh, we very often will uh, observe someone and think that everything is just peachy, but they simply are not expressing or uh, exhibiting uh, some of the difficult, uh, the trials that they are experiencing. And so we don't know what's, ha what's happening in their lives. And as a matter of fact, having uh, the poise not to uh, spew it around uh, the neighborhood is uh, a sign of maturity. So we don't know what's happening in others' lives. We care. We continually 
we certainly hope, we pray that they have faith in the in their Savior, um, but we cannot know the reality of their lives. And that was what was happening with Job here. Verse 14, Yet they, the wicked, say to God, Depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Job expresses what he believes to be the attitude of the wicked. And he says that they say to God, Leave me alone, God, because I don't desire to know anything about you or how you desire for me to live. In other words, I'm doing fine without you. And every now and then we'll encounter people that have that attitude. Um, the wicked here say that they do that they don't want to know or follow God's ways. And as I just said, we hear that attitude from unbelievers and even some believers who have drifted from the godly attitude that they should have. Prayer, uh, praying for them and showing them compassion is the right approach for us. We hope that those believers will return to a devotion to, uh, uh, to God, serving and worshiping Him. Verses, uh, as we begin verse 15, as we come to verse 13, we're seeing that the uh, negative narrative of the wicked continues. Verse 15, uh, this is, again, the wicked, the wicked's, uh, their attitude. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? The wicked speaking. And what profit, and I think a better word there, what benefit do we have if we pray to Him? All right. The wicked here, those who reject God, find no reason to serve. Uh, in some verses, uh, the words uh, serve can be translated worship. Um, I, and I like to use these words um, interchangeably. So the wicked, those who reject God, find no reason to serve or to worship and also find no benefit to pray or commune with God. And this is a blasphemous attitude. There is only one God. There is only one Creator. There is only one God for us to worship and to serve. Sadly, many believers have similar attitudes. They would never say anything close to what some unbelievers or what is uh, expressed here in this verse. But yet, the results are almost the same. They spend minimal time in worship and serving God. And then prayer. Well, too many believers spend very little in prayer, very little time in prayer. Uh, is there a profit? Is there a benefit in prayer? Uh, is there any benefit in devoting time in the throne of God? If no other reason, we're commanded to pray. Many times in Scripture, we find either the character praying or we find uh, the Apostle Paul commanding us to pray. But the answer to is there any benefit to prayer, the answer is yes. Talk to the Father uh, intermittently throughout the day. Uh, we're supposed to pray uh, without ceasing. Uh, we've, we've studied prayer and we realize we can't be uh, praying all the time. That's, uh, I believe, a figure of speech that means we should be in a posture, ready to pray uh, at any time. And if we are, then we will speak to the Father very often. Uh, so we, would we should be prepared to talk to the Father all day long. And your attitudes 
and your life will change. All right. Verse 16. Verse 16. Indeed, there, again, we're seeing the word, uh, the wicked. Indeed, the wicked prosper, uh, their prosperity is not in their hand and power. Uh, the counsel, uh, the designs, the plans of the wicked is far uh, from me. So what Job says here is that the prosperity of the wicked is not within their power, not within their ability, or with their efforts. The, inf- the inference is that the wicked's prosperity is from God, the one that they blaspheme. He then says that the designs of the ways of the wicked are far from me. In other words, that I'm not blaspheming God. The ways of the wicked are far from me. I am not. I don't fall into that category. Uh, now let's move to, um, to verse 17. I'm going to try to move a little, uh, a little quickly, more quickly here. Uh, this is our third uh, part in this chapter, the death of the wicked, verses 17 through 26. Verse 17, how often is the lamp of the wicked put out? Uh, we're going to see several questions here, rhetorical questions. I'll supply the answer. Verse 17, how often is the lamp of the wicked put out. And the lamp here is their life. Uh, well, not very often. The next question, how often does their destruction come upon them? The answer is rarely. The sorrows of God, how often, we might say, uh, how often uh, do the sorrows of God destru- uh, come upon them in his anger? And the an- answer is He doesn't. He doesn't come upon them. So one of the facts we must understand is that both believers and unbelievers live in Satan's world. We both have the possibility of of prosperity and adversity. We cannot judge or compare the unbeliever to the believer. We are both subject to the challenges of life. But the believer has a life that is supported, protected, and blessed by our Heavenly Father. That does not mean that life is all bliss. But by applying the Word of God, His promises, we can experience a life that overcomes the problems that we encounter and provides inner happiness greater than we can imagine. All right. So we have these uh, rhetorical questions, and we're going to see them, uh, uh, that uh, Job uh, launches these rhetorical questions. Verse 18 uh, expresses uh, another rhetorical question. Verse 18, how often are, I think we can start that verse uh, as we did verse 17, How often are they, the wicked, uh, like straw before the wind and like chaff that a storm uh, carries away? And the answer is, well, sometimes, but not very often. Verse 19, they, the wicked, say, God lays up uh, one's or his, I think a a better translation here, uh, they, the wicked, say, God lays up his iniquities, meaning the wicked, for his children. Let him, God, recompense him that he may know it. Uh, this is a, a, a difficult uh, uh, section. And I think what uh, Job is saying is that Job reject, rejects the idea that if the wicked avoid punishment in life, that the punishment will pass to his children. And uh, Job is going to say that's not the case. Uh, And we know that throughout the Word of God. 
that God punishes individuals uh, for their own iniquity. It's not passed on to their children. Verse 20. Let his, and again, this is the wicked, let his eyes see his destruction and let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. In other words, uh, not pass the uh, uh, punishment to the children. Verse 21. For what does he care or what is his interest about his children household after him after his death when the uh, when the number of his months uh, my new king james version says is cut in half it's it doesn't really say that a better translation is um, is cut off uh, we might uh, maybe another way of uh, translating verse 21 for what is the interest in his home after his death when the manor when the number of his months has been broken off. When his, when is his death? Verse 22. Can anyone teach God knowledge since he judges those on high? Uh, another rhetorical question. Uh, can anyone educate God? And the answer is no. Since the next in line uh, he said, the, the verse says, since he judges those on high, those on high, uh, we don't have the, uh, the, the detail that tells us who this, uh, those on high are, but we believe it is angels. Uh, since, uh, those next in line are angels, and they subordinate to God in knowledge, uh, since he judges them. Uh, he judged Satan. He judged the fallen angels. So, can anyone teach God knowledge? No. And the next uh, below uh, uh, God are angels, and they're not going to educate God. Verses 23 through 26. Uh, all these, these verses go together. They're describing individuals who die, and Job is going to say, there doesn't seem to be any difference here. So, verse 20, uh, verse 23. One, and, I, and we can say one person, one person dies in his full strength, being wholly at ease and secure. His pails are full of milk, and the marrow of his bones is moist. Uh, that last uh, colon is understood as being prosperous, uh, vigor, uh, having uh, a youthful vigor. Uh, the uh, marrow of his bones is mo- is moist. Um, verse 25, another man, so one man dies in his full strength. Another man dies in the bitterness of his soul, having never eaten with pleasure. In other words, never having uh, never having uh, enjoyed life, um, having a disappointing life, being discouraged, having a life that's filled with anguish, is what we could say. Verse 26, they lie down alike in the dust, and worms cover them. Uh, what is Job saying? Job is saying, um, we can look at the uh, the wicked, we can look at the righteous, uh, we can look at one man, we can look at another one person, another person, individual, and uh, in the end, it appears that there's no difference. So, uh, the last section here is the death of the wicked in prosperity, verses 27 through 34. Verse 27 says, look, I know your thoughts, and the word your here is a plural, so he's he's speaking to all three. And the schemes with which you, y'all, uh, would wrong me. So Job says that he knows what his friends are thinking and what they are saying. Verse 28, for you say, where is the house of the prince, and where is the tent, the tent? the dwelling place of the wicked. Uh, the question implies the answer will be, it's gone. It's vanished. 
And the inference here uh, is that these questions can and probably are being, uh, could be asked of Job. In other words, uh, Job, where, where's your, uh, dwelling? Where was that nice, uh, almost palatial, uh, dwelling place? Um, so that's the question that's being asked. Verse 29. Have you not asked those who travel the road? And do you not know their signs or their accounts? Yes, you do, is what he's saying. Um, the, the idea is that the merchants who travel widely will talk about what they've seen and heard. And these travelers give a different account of the wicked. So, uh, have you not, uh, verse 29, have you not asked those who travel the road? Yes, it's not. They haven't been supposedly destroyed, punished, facing the same type of hardship that Job did. Many of them have died with great wealth. That's what uh, he's saying here in verse 29. Do you not their accounts? Uh, and the answer is yes. I mean, we've learned a lot about them. So Job answers his own question, his rhetorical question in verse 30. For the wicked are spared for the day of doom. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. In other words, what he's saying here is that the wicked are spared from a day of misfortune or calamity, and they will be delivered from the day of wrath, from the day that uh, is falling upon uh, what, uh, his friends are saying has fallen on Job. Verse 31, Who condemns his way to his face, and who repays him for what he has done? Uh, the answer is, well, no one. Uh, verse 32, Yet he, the wicked, shall be brought to the grave, and of a vigil kept over his tomb. In other words, he'll have an honorable death. Because there's going to be, uh, we might say, an honor guard placed on uh, uh, near his uh, his grave. Verse 32. Yet he, the wicked, shall be brought to the grave. Excuse me. Shall be brought to the grave and a vigil kept over his tomb. Verse 33. The clods of the valley shall be sweet to him. Uh, this is the wicked being buried. And the clods here is a reference to the dirt. <clears throat> Everyone shall follow him as the countless have gone before him. In other words, there'll be, uh, when the wicked is buried, there will be, uh, uh, he'll be buried honorably. There'll be those who follow, we might say, the <clears throat> funeral, the hearse. Uh, and so, uh, it's not as if the wicked don't have honorable burials. And then verse 34. Verse 34. How then can you comfort me with empty words, since falsehoods remain in your answers? The words here, so how can you console me? Job goes back to the, one of the early uh, statements in this chapter. How can you console me? How can you console me with your nonsense? Maybe another way of saying this. Nothing is left out of your answers but falsehoods. Um, this chapter, uh, chapter 21, is Job's response to his three friends. Uh, he doesn't have uh, a reference in this to God except for God's punishment of either the the wicked or those who are moral or those who are obedient. So I think this chapter is really an excellent chapter because it brings home the idea for us, and we sometimes think this, we sometimes think that those who are disobedient or those who are, let's just use the term, uh, wicked, uh, that they should be punished, disciplined by God. Sometimes they are. 
Sometimes they're not. And I've already expressed at least three reasons why maybe they aren't. Uh, but they certainly are a challenge for us. They're a test for us. Um, and what we're going to see as we move to the next section here, we're going to see Eliphaz come sent, sent in front of her again. Uh, so uh, next week we'll come back and we'll open another section, uh, chapter 22, as we hear from uh, Eliphaz and also Bildad. And then, of course, we'll have Job's uh, response. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dearly Father, we're thankful for the truths that we can learn from these chapters. Uh, help us to keep our eyes on you, not on someone else, not judging someone who we believe is wicked or very well may be wicked. But they are in your hands uh, you can choose to bless them. You can choose to discipline them. And you can do, you can choose the same thing for us. Help us, Father, to be uh, a wonderful uh, witness, uh, testimony for you uh, as we go through life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.